to another episode of Future Nation. You're telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Where we speak with some of today's brightest innovators and explore the future of disruptive innovation. Let's go. Here's your host, Daniel Callow. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Future Nation. I am your host, Daniel Callow. Today, I will be speaking with Cameron McIntyre. Cameron has over 25 years' experience in finance and administration. In 2002, he was appointed as finance director for Census, Australia's leading business and classifieds directory. In 2007, he made the jump from that multi-billion dollar corporate to a growing tech startup called Car Sales. In 2014, he was appointed Chief Operations Officer. And then in 2017, he stepped in as the company's chief executive. Today, Car Sales is one of Australia's most admired brands. With a market capitalization of around $3 billion, it now employs over 1,200 people globally. Cameron continues to drive and inspire innovation within the company, which recently won an award for their image-based AI technology called Cyclops. I introduce to you Cameron McIntyre. Hello, Cameron, and thank you very much for taking the time to be on Future Nation today. No, thanks for having me. It's my first podcast. It's, this is going to be fun. Let's start by telling us a bit about your background. Okay, so um, I'll probably start uh, in terms of my media background. So uh, I, I started at a company called uh, Telstra, which most people know about, <laughs> and their and their uh, business, their advertising and directories business, which is called Census. Yeah. Um, back in two thousand and two, which was my first exposure to the ad market. Uh, saw lots of things change in the world of directories yep. uh, in that time frame and the emergence of Google and search and uh, and so on. So reasonably exciting time. But I, I came to car sales in sort of early to mid-2007. Yeah. And we were a really small business in those days. A startup. We're a startup and we were occupying a little shop front in a, in a suburb in Melbourne called Oakley, which is great if you're into Greek food, which I am. And, and there wasn't many of us and we'd have cake time every week around the photocopier and so on. And so, yeah, effectively I moved from a company that was doing about $2 billion a year to a company that was doing not a whole lot, but have absolutely loved every day since. So seen a lot change. In those days, you know, our office used to flood, um, literally used to flood. Uh, <laughs> we'd, we'd have, um, you know, we'd be infested with things like flies and toilets would overflow, but that's, hey, that's the culture of a startup. You, yeah, you're wow. lean and mean and, and everyone's working super hard. And uh, yeah, so seen a lot change since then. So 2007 to early 2019, and we're a very, very different business today. When you made that jump from census, was there a moment where you reflected back on yourself and said, what have I done? No, there, there, there wasn't because there's a guy called John Cotter who wrote the book on change management. And yeah. I was fortunate enough one day to, to spend some time with him in a room full of other people. And at the end of his lecture, he talked a little bit about, you know, life in general. And one of the people in the audience said to him, well, you know, if you had one piece of advice, John, for everyone in this audience, what would it be? And he sort of stood back and, and thought about it for a moment. And, and this guy's probably a 70-year-old guy and he said, you know what, life is short, do something cool. Yeah. That has been my mantra since that day. You know, life is not a dress rehearsal, you got to have a go. Yeah. And for me, 
moving from a large corporate environment into a small startup was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Because I wanted to do something cool and I have. Yeah. What was the biggest cultural difference between the two? If you could, <laughs> if you could put it down to one or two things, what uh, would it be? <laughs> look, I mean, you go from large corporate where you've got lots of people to help you do things and you, and you look after a, a piece of the business. Yeah. To actually, you know, you've got a business card and your business card will say what your title is. But the reality is in a startup, you're doing everything. Yeah. And all your business card says is what your speciality is or what you've been trained to do. Yeah. But the hard reality is you're there to do everything. Yeah. And you're there to do whatever the business needs in order to grow. And and for me, it was the constant expanding, pivoting, learning, making mistakes, but trying to make those mistakes quickly, correct them and move forward. And it was the most refreshing thing I ever did and to this day have ever done was to come to car sales. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Car sales itself. I mean, it's come a long way from its humble origins. It started out as a basic online directory and now you're in many different countries with different platforms, different brands across different categories. How does a company go from being so humble and small to growing across so many different categories and countries? Yeah, look, I'd say we've never lost our humbleness. That's always been retained. We take nothing for granted. Um, you know, we're a, we're a paranoid business. Yeah. But, you know, to get there, it's really, really hard. And, yeah. um, you know, you live what you do and you have to be passionate about it. You have to enjoy it. And it almost has to be a hobby, right? I mean, you know, you have to be so into it. And growth is hard because you're constantly trying to innovate. You're constantly trying to expand and push the boundaries, do different things, test and learn and run really fast uh, and try not to make mistakes. Yeah. And that has lots and lots of challenges to it. But ultimately, I think it's about being passionate. It's about persevering, making change and making it change frequent. You know, we, we started life, um, obviously as an automotive based vertical classifieds business. But what we quickly discovered was that a boat and a bike is the same as a car in the online world. It's a classified listing. And, and you know, why, why can't we expand into those markets like we have? And then over time, we've taken the next step and gone, well, okay, so we've expanded all these vertical markets. What are the adjacent markets that work with those verticals? And how do we build positions in those markets? And then, okay, so if we've done all that, then how do we then take all that and push it into large global markets? So take the technology that we've learned, the IP that we've created and push that into high growth markets and yeah. replicate everything again. Why can't we do that? I mean, you know, we're a technology business. We should be able to do that. And that's what we've been doing. And so those early days, uh, Greg and I, who's the founder, we still debate how many people there was in the business when I started, but I, I still say there was only about 60. Yeah. And today there's about 1,200. So, and we're in 10 countries. Yeah, so wow. a lot's changed. Yeah. So do you spend much time abroad with those international businesses? We tend to have uh, international businesses that are all quite autonomous and yep. we have great management teams, great leaders in those organisations and our involvement with most of them is reasonably light touch. We provide a lot of the technology platforms for some yep. and for others we provide IP. So okay. you know, we help the business deal with challenges that they might have with tech or with the market and we provide the support that they need. So in terms of my time, I do spend time overseas. I do like to visit 
visit all the countries that we're in. We often get the country managers into Australia because one of the best ways for them to learn is to be in the same room together and talk about experiences that yeah. they have. Like the guys in Korea would have very similar but very different experiences to the guys in Brazil. And it's about sharing and learning together and evolving. Definitely getting everyone together is key and face-to-face never gets old. And they say that, you know, technology was going to eliminate the need to be face-to-face, but clearly face-to-face communication is still very important in doing business. Look, I agree. Like we do regular Zoom calls. We do board meetings over the internet using Skype or whatever the services are in each of the countries in which we operate. But nothing replicates the ability to actually sit down with someone, particularly with some of the cultures that we work in, sit down, have a meal with someone, have a drink with someone and have a good conversation, use a whiteboard and really get into it. Communication over the internet is great for short bursts of conversation, but to really get under the covers, you have to be there. To really understand how someone thinks, you really need to be sitting next to them or with them and really experiencing that person. So I completely agree. Face-to-face has not been replaced. No, and I think it will. No. Car sales has been quite innovative over the years. Recently, you've won an award for the Cyclops AI. Yeah, look, Cyclops is very cool. I mean, you know, we've got some unbelievable talent in our technology team. Just don't tell anyone that. Yeah, because it's hard to get great people. But we do. We have great people uh, and people that love our business. You know, I'm sure if I cut most of them open, they would bleed blue and not red, <laughs> uh, which is the colour of our business. But yeah. um, innovation is in our DNA and everyone uh, in this organisation hears that and knows that. We have no one with the job title of innovator or innovation. Everyone is responsible for innovating and yeah. they're all empowered to innovate. Yeah. And when we think about innovation, it's not just about product. It's about product. It could be about process. We try and innovate everywhere. And I guess Cyclops is a really cool stretch for us because normally our innovation has been inside our digital classifieds or our adjacent markets. Yeah. But the AI investment that we've been making, and this Cyclops is about image recognition, which is again, very different. So you know, what we've created or what the team have created is the ability for us just to look at an image of a car and actually know what that car is. And so the application for that is not just inside our business and we did it because we needed it for things like customer service yeah you know checking ads making sure that the sort of vehicle that someone's described their car as is that vehicle and so we can do that by checking the images and making sure those images match the specifications of the vehicles but you sort of step out and go well that's cool um where else could we apply that and there's lots of other application yeah uh, for instance policing you know if i can see an image of a car i know what, what that car is i can match that to a registration plate if the registration plate doesn't match the car yeah that car could be stolen yeah those sorts of things so yeah often innovation starts out as one thing and ends up as another and that's a cool part about it but we really like what we've created with cyclops and very worthy of the award that the team won but you know i think we're on the start of the journey for that and not the end. Yep. Do you feel that you're going to put more resources towards technologies such as AI and machine learning? Yeah. So our focus over more recent years has been about, you know, we have a lot of data in our business. So as you yep. can imagine, um, so it's how do we use that data to support the objectives of our customers and our consumers uh, and put it to good use. So there's been more of a push around using our data science and using the capability that we have in that space and bringing all of our data together so that we can use it in a more meaningful and helpful way. 
AI is great and AI is absolutely here. We do have a team that's focused on AI. It's hard to get lots of people and great people that have great AI experience. So when we find them, we take them. So I I guess it's a capability that we're developing. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a capability that's core as yet. Yeah. And I don't reckon there's lots of companies out there that have it as core yet. Not yet. Not yet. I think we're still early days with what we're calling the AI takeover, but I think definitely there's companies that have implemented technologies and over time they will evolve and pivot. The power will come when they see what they can actually create from that AI. If we look at companies like Spotify, if we look at companies like Netflix where they give recommendations, yeah, yeah. I mean- Picking your car. I know, I know. I mean, we call that personalization. Yeah. Yeah, and we look at companies like Amazon and go, wow, about a third of their revenue comes from making recommendations. And it's the same with Apple, right? I mean, yeah. you go to iTunes and or maybe many people don't use iTunes anymore, but um, in the old days you used to go to iTunes and you'd find the music that you're looking for and their recommendation engine was so good that you'd end up buying six other songs. Yeah. I mean, that's just great technology. So we tend to call that personalization and recommendation engines are part of that whole experience. Yeah. But for us, it's... You know, how do we keep our members engaged when they're outside the buy sell cycle? I mean, people tend to buy and sell their cars on a five or six year cycle. Yeah. And so we go, great. Every five or six years, we'll talk to you. But how do we stay relevant outside of that? Yeah. And so what are the things that we can do that are helpful for people when they're outside of that cycle? And how do we personalize that experience at the same time? Because the more personalized we are, the greater the ability to continue to engage. Yeah. When we're not personalized, I mean, it's easy to switch you off. So. Yeah, definitely. What about aggregated or blended data from third-party sources? Is car sales utilizing any of that data at the moment? We don't tend to use lots of third-party data. Um, and I'm just, I'm sitting here going, uh, what third-party data do we actually use? We actually don't use much, if any, third-party data um, okay. at all. It's Most of the data is, is all ours. You know, we have oodles and oodles of search data. Um, we know how consumers are behaving on the site. We can segment our customers well. So we, we know how to provide a good experience. But um, in terms of data, yeah, we tend to just use our own. Yep, fair enough. Do you think there'll ever come a time where that won't be enough? Um, the consumer comes to car sales for a couple of purposes, right? So one is to buy a car. Yeah. One is to sell a car or one might be to research a car, but it's quite a narrow field of interest. Yeah. And so aside from segmenting and retargeting, I think because we're quite specific, I can imagine a world where there might be others out there that could provide interesting data that would better support some of the campaigns or some of the things that we might be working on, but it's not a priority at the moment. We have so much of our own data yeah. that we can use effectively to help our consumers and our customers that I think yeah, we'll, that's where we're focused. Yeah, fair enough. We've noticed over the past few years, the car market itself, particularly the new car market, has had its ups and downs. And there are new technologies that have come out and new trends such as ride sharing and the sharing community where people share their vehicles. And this has essentially reduced demand for car purchases. What's your opinion on these technologies and where they're headed? Do you think it's going to start to really eat into the space of car sales? Uh, you look over the last several years at how many cars are being sold in this country, aside from you know, the last probably nine or 12 months, but for different reasons, um, you know, new car sales have been growing. And so used car sales have been growing. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think we're at peak cars in terms of you know, 
total numbers of cars being purchased. I mean, the, the, the number of additional cars on the road here in Victoria over the past 12 months is, is up substantially. And, yes. you know, and you look at the population that's coming, we have a huge problem around infrastructure yeah. uh, longer term here in Melbourne because you know, the, the population growth that's expected between now and 2030 is huge. Yeah. So with that additional population comes the additional requirement for transportation and, and most people, particularly in Australian capital cities, they live in suburbs which tend to be 20, 30 kilometres out potentially out of the CBD and require transport. I mean, we're a big, big country. So look, I, I look at you know, hailing and sharing and uh, all these other um, forms of transportation and, and there's definitely a market there and I think a lot of the disruption that we've seen has been in the space of the taxi industry um, in, yeah. in particular for example and others are still very very niche like car sharing is very niche I mean would I'll ask you a question. Would you, would you, I don't, I don't know if you've even got a car, but I'm guessing to say that you might have one. And <laughs> would you, would you lend your car to someone that you don't know, sight unseen? Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's about supply and demand. And, um, I think what some of these platforms see is there's enough interest, but getting people to supply their vehicles is a challenge. And, yeah. you know, when you look at some of these other models and there are many out there where you can, you know, hire a car and it's parked on a street somewhere. That works in inner city suburbs where I don't have to walk more than 250 metres or 300 metres to get to that car. Uh, in an outer s- suburban area where I might have to walk two kilometres, I can tell you right now I'm, I'm not going to be walking that far. So no. th- some of those models work well in different spaces. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, transport and vehicles, uh, the technology, the investment that's going into that space at the moment is fascinating and, yep. it's, and it's a fantastic market to be in. Yeah. And where do you sort of see platform technology such as yours, such as car sales? Where's that headed? How are people going to uh, interact with car sales in the future? Is it still going to be via an app or is it going to be more autonomous? Um, look, at, I mean, it's if you, if you went back 10 years ago and asked me how people are going to interact, I may not have said, you know, via an app. Because, yeah. I mean, that's just how quick that change has been made in consumer preference for search. And, you know, in our business, the vast majority of our traffic now is on a mobile device. Yeah. Um, so you look out another 10 years and go, oh, where, where, where could we be? I mean, I look at some of the disruptive stuff around voice recognition and go, well, yeah, or screenless technology. I mean, like how- Google Home and like yeah. Amazon Echo and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those sorts of products. I mean, yeah. you know, is that the way consumers will search for cars? I don't know. And screenless technology, I mean, how will all that play out over the next five to ten years? I don't know. I guess from our point of view, it's about staying nimble. It's about watching and observing where consumers are going and what the new platforms are that they're using and making sure that as a business we can pivot and we can move quickly and adapt and change yeah. to make sure that we're maximizing our audience. Yeah. Do you feel that car sales connects people with cars or do you feel car sales connects people with people? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I, I think the purpose f- for why people come to car sales is to connect with cars, but ultimately what we're doing is connecting people with people. Yeah. Cars are just the reason for them being there. Yeah. Um, so I think it's both. Yeah. And that obviously influences how you perceive the company and how you make your decisions because people behave differently. Cars don't behave. Uh, yeah, most cars <laughs> do. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I mean, people people behave 
differently and people's behaviors change. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, you know, I mean, the way con- consumers or people like to consume things today evolves. So, you know, static images versus, uh, video content, yeah. right? I mean, you go back 10 years ago and, um, and even even probably five years ago, and you know the emergence of platforms like Instagram. I mean, most people like to consume video content these days. Mm. Um, it's as long as it's snackable. Yeah, you know, it's a nice medium, and people are used to that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it, it people change. So um, so we need to keep changing too. What's your favourite car? Wow, you know, I mean, I'm the wrong guy to ask because oh, I'm come on. so massively <laughs> conflicted. You know, I have, I have, I have lots and lots of great customers out there, and whatever my answer is going to be, <laughs> it's going to offend someone. <laughs> so I'd, I'd just say, look, uh, I t- I tend to drive um, larger cars. Yeah, um, I, I like I like bigger cars only because it's easy for me to get in and out of them, and I like that. So I'm probably an SUV guy. Yeah, uh, me- mid to large SUVs would be my my category if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, fair not, enough. Not brand. <laughs> no brand. Yeah. Brandless car. Yeah. Cameron, you've been with car sales since 2007 and experienced many of the changes it has undergone. What do you believe is the biggest change that has contributed to the success of car sales? Um, I'd say there's not one. There's probably a dozen. But things like becoming a public company, yeah, that changes you. Becoming a global business, that changes you. Um, I'd say... Uh, the emergence of mobility and mobile platforms yeah. has changed us. I'd say yeah, a lot of the adjacent market opportunities that we've invested in have created change. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of things. I think a lot of the people that we've hired and we have we have excellent, awesome people, um, but there's some people that have, have made some significant change to this business great change yeah and it's in any organizations it's your number one asset so yeah um the people are the drivers of change so i'd say people are, are well and truly up there as well yeah let's talk a bit more about the people in car sales with any technology company obviously the people are at the heart of the company because getting good talent is always very difficult and you've got to get people that are not only capable but they've got to be passionate you can't just hire someone who's technically skilled. So how has that journey been with getting the right people for a company like Car Sales from those humble – or you're yep. still humble today, but those yep. very humble days back in uh, back in your flooding office yeah, yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> to now? Yeah. Um, tell us. Yeah, no, look, I, I guess um, talent – uh, is always hard to find, as you say, and making sure you're retaining it requires a lot of work. Yeah. And, you know, we call it our EVP, our employee value proposition. So, you know, what does our EVP look like? What are the reasons why someone wants to come and work for car sales and how are we differentiated from anyone else? So what makes us special? And we try and focus on those things. We try and differentiate. We try and give people purpose, um, not just uh, in their day-to-day work, but, you know, greater purpose because people want to work in an organization where it's not just about what they do every day. They want to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and so how do we help 
people make a difference. And some of the stuff that we're very passionate about is around education, um, STEM education in particular, particularly female STEM education. You know, how do we get more girls into technology? That's yeah. a big, big issue for us uh, and not just us, but anyone in tech. Yeah. How do we get more girls interested in technology? And, you know, we have a great tech team here and many, many of them are very passionate about this. And what we tend to do is, you know, from time to time, people will get the time to go and work in secondary schools, girls' secondary schools, and work with teachers and teach kids how to code. You know, we'll run kids' coding camps. We'll teach kids about robotics. Wow. Um, We'll do stuff with universities. And it's all designed to try and create interest, not just in, car sales but interest in STEM and our hope is that the misalignment between supply and demand for tech resource over time changes yeah and we can get more supply and whatever we need to do to help facilitate that that's reasonable uh, that's what we're all about doing so it's about giving people purpose outside of just the job they do um, making them feel like they're making a contribution and that's one of the ways that we think about that but um, you know it's it's also in tech people want to work on cool stuff people don't want to work in old coding language on old kit doing boring stuff right and that's why innovation is core how do we keep innovating how do we keep creating interest because the more we're doing that the easier it is to attract talent because people go i work for car sales oh you they're doing some cool stuff in ai i saw the award you guys won how fantastic is that um so we're, we're we're focused on that we're also focused on grads one of the issues that we have and everyone has the same issue some people realize it and others don't but particularly in technology when kids come out of university university they're taught how to code but they're not taught how to communicate and they're not taught how to run a business and the issues that that creates for an organization that's taking grads on is you you have to go through a process right of teaching kids how to communicate if i'm a dev how do i communicate with my client to understand what my internal client wants me to produce yeah so there's a communication element there there's also what's business all about how does it make money and teaching people about that so for us grads are important and we have a great grad program actual fact we we're awarded the fourth best grad program in the country, which our people and culture team and all of us uh, wear that as a badge of honour. But it's how do we evolve? How do we evolve the talent of the future? And in the technology space, it's about giving them cool stuff to work on, but also giving them the ability to learn how to communicate, how to understand business and evolve. Yeah. Can you give us an example of something that you have in place that's unique to car sales as far as what you do for your teams or innovation? Um, I'd say things like hacks. We love our hacks. And what we try and do is we try and involve not just our technology team, but we try and involve the whole business in it. Yeah, hackathons, it's like anything. You know, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, people get bored. Yeah. And hacks, we have to keep reinventing. We have to keep thinking about how do we do them differently? You know, could we do a global hack with all of our other countries? And what are the things that we could do that keep interest there? And a lot of our innovation comes out of our hackathons too, right? I mean, because people are given the freedom, they're given the time to put things together. Yeah, I mean, that's not unique to us, but it's important to us. And it's important that we give our people the time and the flexibility to feel that they can participate in those sorts of programs. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, there's an interesting story about when you became a listed company. Tell us what happened. So um, we listed in 2009 in in September 2009, but we actually became a public company much earlier. We became a public company in 2000, uh, in the middle of 2000. And 
I don't know if you remember what happened in 2000, but you know, we're a technology company and we've just lodged a prospectus right in the middle of the tech wreck. Yeah, nice. Which was absolutely perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, and as a business, we became quite an unusual structure and I don't recommend it for anyone, but it's called a public unlisted company, right? So, yeah. you know, you've got plus 500 shareholders. So you're a public company by definition. So you have all of the compliance of a public company, but you have none of the liquidity of a public company. And in 2000, we issued our first prospectus. Many of our customers became shareholders in car sales, but they had no liquidity in any of the stock that they had. So um, yeah. Yeah, you get constant calls about how do I buy or sell stock. So anyway, it wasn't until probably middle to late 2007 that we decided to become a listed public company. And again, if you remember sort of what happened in the back end of 2007 and 2008, so we're yeah. preparing our second prospectus and Along came the GFC. GFC. So timing is uh, definitely your thing. Yeah. And I look, I recommend anyone who's looking to become a public unlisted or listed company to make sure one thing works for you, which is get your timing right. (laughs) We've been challenged there, but uh, we we got ourselves away uh, in September 2009, which was when the window opened after the, after the GFC, which was great because the window closed pretty quickly after that. Yeah. Got away unscathed. Yes, we did. So car sales is known for its acquisitions. Can you tell us about a recent acquisition? Yep. So our most recent acquisition of any scale and substance, we acquired a business called SKN Car, which is the largest online automotive digital marketplace in South Korea. Yep. And we've been partners with a company up there called SK. And SK is what's called a Chaebol. Uh, and I don't know if you know what a Chaebol is, but it's a conglomerate, a Korean conglomerate. Yeah. Imagine Telstra plus Shell and BP service stations combined is SK. So they run all wow. the telecommunications and gas and fuel retail as well. They do a lot of infrastructure. They own a business called SK Hynix, which is one of the biggest semiconductor producers in the world. And yep. and they've just bought Toshiba's flash memory business out of Japan. So they were our partners up in Korea. And January last year, we bought the rest of the business that we'd been partnering with them. Yep. Still retain the SK brand in that business, which is fantastic considering they don't own any equity in it, but they've allowed us to continue to use their brand. Yeah. Um, just goes to show the deep trust and partnership that we have with that business. And we love the Korean market and we love the people and how that business has performed for us and are very upbeat about where that market's going longer term. Yeah. And the Korean business culture must be pretty fun. Uh, look, I mean, like every culture, they have their idiosyncrasies. You know, K-pop is big, so that's outside the business culture, but K-pop is big. There are customs up there, you know, like drinking is one. Yes. To do business up there, you need to be quite comfortable to drink a beer. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's a fun place. And part of the way that Korean people get to know one another is the dinner that they have, the few drinks that they have after dinner. And I think there's a good cultural match between the Australian culture and the Korean culture Yeah, with a lot of that. And yeah, as much as we're very different, we're very similar. Yeah. And really like that market and great people. And as far as the Koreans go themselves in the vehicle market, they're absolutely killing it. They're doing fantastic. Yeah. The Korean market's quite a bit bigger than the Australian market. Uh, That market's changed and evolved quite a bit over the last number of years. And uh, I remember going up there many years ago for the first time and the market was quite dominated by 
yeah, the big Korean auto manufacturers. Today, it's different. There's a lot more German brands on the road and yeah. talking to Korean consumers, uh, they find many of those brands quite aspirational and yeah. that's obviously been helpful for many of those other brands that have entered, but it creates a, a more interesting auto market too. You see a lot more different cars on the road today, which is great. Auto market's healthier. There's more dealers. Um, used car market's stronger. There's there's more diversity in terms of products available for sale and it's all good. What about China? You doing much in China? Our Red Book business is in China and we do do some stuff in China. We've had opportunities in the past to do things in China, but you know, for one reason or another, it just hasn't made sense to us at the time. But yep. uh, yeah, it's a fantastic market, fascinating market, uh, huge. Um, and yeah, you know, when we first started looking at it, it was a new car market only, really. I mean, yeah. because people were buying their first cars, and this yep. is this is going back maybe ten years. Today, it's a new and used car market, and that yep. used car market's evolved a lot. But um, we haven't found the right reasons to get there over time. But very respectful of you know what's being created up there. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about yourself, Cameron, with your personal journey up to now. And you've gone from census to car sales. You were chief financial officer. Then you went into chief operations officer. And now you're chief executive officer. You've had quite a journey. You've experienced innovation from one end to the other. You've gone from the startup to the corporate innovator now. What do you do personally to keep inspired? and keep motivated. Look, I guess, you know, some of the things that I read, read quite a bit, you know, whether it's audio books or other things, magazines and so on. Um, I try and do that. It's hard to find that personal time, um, but I like to do it when I get the chance. Uh, so there's, there's particular times a day where I will set aside some time and just try and get some reading done and just stay abreast of what's happening in the world, but not just what's happening in the world, but what's happening in our industry and, you know, other cool things that are going on. I think we feed off each other quite a bit in here. Yeah. We're actually a very collaborative organization. Uh, and the execs here are very collaborative. So I think we tend to feed off each other. I get time to enjoy my family every now and again and, you know, spend time with the kids and what they're doing on the sporting field. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, anyone that talks about work-life balance and saying they've mastered work-life balance, I think they're in the extreme minority. Yeah. Particularly these days, as much as it's a great place to try and be, it's difficult, right? Yeah. And you need to enjoy what you do. And if you enjoy what you do, then it's not so hard. So I enjoy what I do and I spend lots of time doing it. Uh, and I devote whatever time I have left over to my family and my friends and doing the things that give me some degree of enjoyment outside of work. So, you know, whether that be cars or sport, they're the things I tend to be more attracted to. Yeah, fantastic. Do you have any hobbies outside of cars? No, look, I, I love my footy team. Um, I'm an avid supporter of the North Melbourne Football Club. So I try and do a little bit with them and my friends there. So quite passionate about that and getting to, and getting to footy when I can. But there's not lots of time for hobbies. I mean, hobbies are when you've got lots of time on your hands and yeah, I've probably got a list of things that I'd like to do more of. Like my golf game's been absolutely decimated over the past 12 years and my handicap, <laughs> I don't even know what it is anymore. But all those things require time and sometimes in life, I think you've, you know, you, you go through a cycle where you, you have to put down a lot of those hobbies and focus on particular things. And then when you get more time, you can pick those up. So hobbies are not something that are on my radar, but there are things that I have interest in and, you know, in short bursts of time, like footy. Yeah. Well, anyone in Melbourne, you got to have footy. You have to have footy. Yeah. What's a book that you can recommend? 
That's a great question. I mean, look, I think the one book that everyone should read is a book by a guy called Klaus Schwab. And uh, Klaus is part of the World Economic Forum and it's called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Yeah. I think everyone should read that. Yeah. It's an important book. Yeah, I do love the Jim Collins books, the the good to great. Um, they've always been a source of pleasure and I've read them both twice now. There's another book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which I've read twice now as well. And I just love the anecdotes in that book. Um, they're just fascinating stories about how people have got to where they've got to and but the time and effort that they've had to invest in getting there in the first place is incredible. And yeah, you know, a lot of us sort of think about, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and go, well, those guys, they just got to where they got to because they were smart. Well, well no, the reality is, you know, Bill Gates probably spent 20, 30,000 hours of coding in order to understand his craft and to evolve into what he ultimately became. Yeah. And so it's not easy. It's hard. And the lessons out of that book were you've got to put in the effort. Yeah, definitely. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode today. Thank you very much, Cameron, for taking the time today to share with us both your experience and journey you've had with CarSaves. Oh, no, fantastic. I mean, it's great great to be here. It's quite a painless experience on a podcast. It's good. No, thank you for the time and uh, enjoyed the conversation. It's been great. We are always looking for innovative and interesting people to be on our show. If you or someone you know would like to share their experience and be a featured guest on Future Nation, head on over to futurenation.co and click on Apply to Be a Guest. If you like this episode, please subscribe to receive future episodes as they are released. Once again, thank you for listening to Future Nation. Thank you for listening to Future Nation. Hey, no problem, buddy. Head on over to futurenation.co. What for? For show notes and more. Oh, and don't forget to share and subscribe.